one of my favorite things is talking to Uber and Lyft drivers about why they're doing it. I, you know, I think more of the ones who are happy doing it are the ones who are doing this sort of side hustle thing. And it's just, you know, it's a way to have that portfolio and flexibility and additional income. And those sort of principles, I think, will apply to all sorts of of other jobs. And we're already starting to see that. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. Companies today face a global war for talent. And high-skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top freelancers to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. I'm your host, Paul Estes. Today's guest is Barry Asim, the president of Staffing Industry Analysts, which is the global advisor on staffing and workforce solutions. And co-hosting with me today is Dean Bashi, the head of partnerships at TopTal. Barry Asin, president of SIA, Staffing Industry Analysts, have uh, been in and around the world of contingent work, the gig economy, for more than 20 years. For those who don't know SIA, we're independent research and advisory firm focused totally on the world of staffing, recruiting, contingent work, and the gig economy. We do, among other things, uh, lots of research in this area, as well as events, education and publishing. It might be the coolest job in the world because it's right in the middle of this whole explosion that's going on, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. We are. And the amazing thing about this space, when you think about staffing, is how much money is spent on, on human capital and talent and how much technology is impacting it just over the past probably 10 years. I mean, if you go all the way back to job boards and the internet and some of those things and We'll get into that, but first, I wanted to talk about you, about Barry. In the, in the pre-interview, this was the uh, part that I wasn't expecting, and I <laughs> guess that's the part of, uh, normally I get to ask all the questions uh, at, our, at our events and the like. So uh, I always try to understand you know, people's background and how they got to where they are and why they're passionate and wake up and, and do what they do, and you didn't start from a business background. You know, I would say a lot of what you do right now is analysis and consulting and advisory services, and it's sort of right. a, a business role. You started off in chemical engineering. <laughs> I, I did. That was pretty short-lived. It ended it with a second semester organic chemistry. That was pretty much <laughs> the end of that. And then there was a, a recruiter who sort of helped change your path as you were, you were going along. Tell me about that experience of when you left school and you met a recruiter and, and started figuring out a lot of people are trying to find their first job or trying to find their path on, on what they're doing. But tell me about that path. Coming right out of school, uh, I was uh, back to the chemical engineering thing. I think it was my family didn't have lots of money. And so the reason I was a chemical engineer was I was good at math, good at science, and it paid average salary like 20 bucks a year more than anything else that was listed in the newspaper at the time, which in retrospect was not the best reason to pick a career. Coming out of school, I think I was thinking about engineering and the like, worked for uh, Accenture for a little while, and went to business school and got into service businesses and operations uh, of making service businesses better. Actually, we can have a whole side gig discussion, I guess. You know, uh, after business school, worked for Taco Bell, PepsiCo, 
they were recruiting and I ran restaurants for Taco Bell. Were you the head li- like on the line? Oh man. I mean, the so whole you, thing. I was actually valedictorian of my class at Taco Bell University. So there's an achievement. That, that, there well, you go. That's, that, that's also the, the title of the title of the <laughs> entire the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? I think people's professional journeys Everybody thinks it's linear. It's not very often that you get to go back and in retrospect, look at your journey and say, wow, each of those things added to where I am today. Each of those jobs, each of those placements, each of those, you know, ads or things that I accepted, interviews that I went through and experiences I had were additive and necessary, I would think. Tell me one thing that you carry with you from your Taco Bell University experience. I guarantee there's like one attribute or some learning or, or some... There were lots of learnings about what not to do. Part of life is you, you know, you learn the sort of practicalities and reality. So I, I grew up with this. Uh, my father had been a hotel restaurant, went to hotel and restaurant school, always dreamed of having his own restaurant. And I sort of grew up with that. Like I was going to have my own restaurant or chain of, of restaurants. And the thing that I learned there was that never work in a cash business and the restaurant business is, you know, almost 24-7. What I learned about myself is that I, I sort of value having some separation between work and my personal life and having some balance there. And the restaurant business is really tough for that. You know, nights, weekends, having, you know, cash around was uh, lots of uh, all sorts of interesting stories of trying to figure out where the money went that, <laughs> right. uh, that we supposedly earned during the day. You had the chance to learn that relatively early in your career. So it wasn't that you were later in your career. Exactly. So the great thing about it was I went and explored that. I remember having a conversation with my wife at the time. It was like, well, listen, you've, you've been thinking about this. Go do it. It was a great way to experience that without taking your life savings and pouring it into some restaurant that you, you realize that, you know, it's not exactly the right thing for you. But that led to sort of what I do today. So out of that, after running restaurants for a while for Taco Bell, I actually spent a year doing uh, training, and I loved that. The chance to take the restaurant experience, operations experience, and some of the business school background and, and teach new managers within the organization and found out that I enjoyed public speaking, that I, I liked the whole sort of educational element of that, and, and that stuff that some of the favorite things that I get to do today with SIA. So that, you know, I think that was a a nice learning. And it's exactly to your point of carrying things from one thing to the other. I hadn't really thought about that in a while. I love content. I love radio. In college, I had a radio show. Uh, I was on an AM talk radio show back home. Being in radio, you would have to, before a clear channel bought everybody up and, and programmed everything out of New York City, you would have to move around from market to market to market. So you go to you know Kansas City and then you go to Idaho and then you have to work your way up and you know, maybe did, one day. Did you actually do that? No. But it was one of those things that once I understood the business, once I was in radio and then planning to have a career in radio or in, in mass communications, I realized, hey, it wasn't a lifestyle that I, I wanted. And then I changed over to business and, and right. went on from there. And, and you've brought back some of the elements of that now. I think this word is sort of overused, but I haven't found a better word for digital transformation where technology is impacting every business. You can't find one business that's not being impacted by some form of technology and you're having people 
who've been working in industries for a long period of time, having to grapple with and understand and get new skill sets to say, oh, wait, I've got to change with this technology that I don't quite understand yet, but I know it's kind of important. And it's not only the technology that's changing the business, it's the cultural and mindset shifts that go along with that that are equally, if not more important in that transformation. Now, you talk to staffing companies who've been around for long periods of time. Their management structures have been around for long periods of time. And in my experience, there's two sets of people. There are those that say, hey, look, we always have to change. Job boards came not that long ago, and and we figured out how to adapt to that, and, and new things are coming along. How are you seeing the broader staffing industry, both the large companies and then the individual ones? I think one of the things we were on the panel at the Gigi conference, and there's 19,000 staffing companies. Most of the people in staffing I think got into it because they love the core of the business, which is finding jobs for people and people for jobs. And they didn't get into this to be technologists, you know, that like every other industry or technology has found them, I think, for the for the vast majority. The market's incredibly fragmented, you know, 19,000 staffing firms. There's 150 that we track that are over 100 million in revenue in the US, you know, another thousand that are maybe over 10 million in revenue. And then the vast majority, you know, the 18,000 staffing firms or so are small. I mean, it's a husband and wife, maybe, or, a, you know, a guy and his dog in a, in a basement somewhere or, or a, a spare bedroom could be, in a, you know, wherever it is people who are, are, you know, just loved recruiting and got into this business in one way. They didn't want to be technologists. And so you're, you're right that the industry is changing. And so the really large companies, of course, they've got the capital to invest and, you know, make all sorts of bets with, on new technology and the like. And so for them, it's one thing, this digital transformation that, uh, you know, it's a lot of money behind it. And, you know, for the smaller guys, I think the things they've got going for them is, you know, they're incredibly entrepreneurial. So the amazing thing about this business is that it's very nimble. It's incredibly competitive. In a lot of ways, it's sort of capitalism at its best, right? It's like people finding a niche, figuring out how to make a living in that niche and, you know, and to help people find the jobs that they're looking for. Talking about larger organizations and smaller organizations in the staffing industry, you sit at SIA with a a big perspective of what's going on out there. And when when I say that, your clients are these firms, right? Yeah. And the folks on the the buy side, particularly the enterprise, uh, HR and procurement people. And so when you, you make new friends, new clients on both sides, and so you see the dynamic changing right in front of you. By example, you know, four years ago when, when we came around at Top Talent said, you know, who, what staffing industry analysts, you know, we discovered we're in the staffing industry, or at least we contemplated that we were. We came to you and said, you know, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, to understand this industry. And I wonder, because you sit and, and have that perspective, if you use that data, if you have any comment on what has changed in the last few years of, I suppose, all these new customers asking new questions And, you know, not to ignore the old ones that you've had for years, but I imagine you see some new folks asking questions. In some ways, it feels like there's this explosion of sort of an overnight success that for those who have been around the industry has been, you know, 30, 40, 50 years in the making. But there is this new blood, I guess, way of saying, or, you know, just new, this whole wave of innovation coming along, all sorts of new new companies like TopTal that we didn't 
probably exactly that. Didn't think they were in staffing, didn't really know, you know, no, but they saw a problem and they had saw technology and, you know, ways to solve it. And so for us, I mean, that's one of the really cool things is just there's more innovation going on right now in, in and around the industry than probably than over the last 30 years. There's like more in the last few years. And I think that's, you know, the way technology change goes, right? It, it becomes uh, that sort of explosive growth in, uh, in, in change. And it's a lot of fun to see, and it's made it a really interesting, uh, interesting place to be. And for folks listening to this podcast, let's say I'm uh, one of these smaller organizations, that long tail of the 18 or 17,000, you know, mom and pop firms. How would you say they should approach the change as compared to, you know, the bigger folks that are on the top end of that scale? They should both the same, ignore it, <laughs> close your eyes. I guess we never recommend closing your eyes. Part of it, it has to do with, uh, with your goals for the business. So one, one of my side projects, the thing I've really been enjoying is uh, uh, wrote a book a couple of years ago with my uh, colleague, Mike Cleland, about fast-growing staffing firms and, you know, what's different about the 150 that have grown to a to 100 million or there's a whole story behind that, but part of that story is a passion and commitment to really growing the business, a passion and commitment to develop the talent in their organization. And particularly, I would say, you know, that starts with developing the capability of the leaders of the organization and, you know, their sort of view of the world. And assuming most companies, I talk to very few that are just not interested in growing and developing but if they are, you know, the first thing you've got to do is grow and develop your own capabilities. I think that's great advice, but let's get a little more specific if someone's listening. When you say develop the capabilities within your organization, what are some examples as you, and I want to plug your book, Breaking Through, and we'll put the, the links, of course, in the right. show notes. What are some examples when you were out there looking at those organizations that were thriving in this place of, of disruption or digital transformation? The classic thing is like some of the, some of the stories of people we saw, like I think of a guy like Jeff Bowling, who built, uh, you know, an amazing uh, company, the Delta Companies. And Jeff is one of these guys who's sort of a, a self-taught leader. And But I've never seen anybody more committed to learning on his own, just like a voracious reader, you know, constantly looking for, for new ideas. And one of the things he he did early on, which I think a, a lot of people can benefit from, is you know he built a, a peer group. You know, a lot of organizations just spend all their time very internally focused, and you know he he had a group of I think four other entrepreneurs that that they met on a you know a really regular basis, monthly or quarterly or so. But he used that to broaden his his own perspective and you know to think more widely about. What what are the changes out there in the world? Who, What's uh, who was in that peer group? Did he go find a bunch of people that were doing you know, like same business? Other staffing folks. I know most of the most of these guys. Uh, Dan Campbell of Higher Dynamics over at uh, PSG. Uh, Aaron Green, uh, Jeff Harris from Etain Group. So then they were across so IT, industrial, healthcare. Do you know of any of these other groups that exist or other clumps of <laughs> firms that have gotten together in the industry? We've actually started at SIA, a thing called the Growth Advisory Board, which is, you know, so we've got a couple that of sounds groups. sounds good. I, I want to be part of the Growth Advisory Board, <laughs> mostly on the growth side. Right. You know, and the idea is to bring together small groups of firms, you know, five to 10 
CEOs, because I think it's pretty lonely running one of these businesses. And I think it's really critical that people think more broadly and, you know, sort of get outside their own little world and, and just get a fresh perspective. And so that's, that's the advantage, I think, of a, of yes. a peer group. It's such a fortunate place to be, to be able to have conversations and learn about people's personal journeys and also get a perspective of the industry. I mean, I advocate for remote work and on demand, and that's sort of, that was to me a fundamental change in how I worked and how I lived. And I think to Dean's earlier question, I didn't realize I was in the staff. Like I didn't realize I'd made a pivot from being a, you know, in technology and big tech to being a part of the staffing industry. And I, and I think we didn't realize, you know, one of the things that's been changing for us, and I, we can have a whole debate about terminology. Let's do uh, that. I love, I love debating about words. <laughs> Not. But, I mean, uh, for SIA, I think we see a, a much broader ecosystem now than we ever did. So, you know, historically, we had been focused and sort of the, the roots of the business were, were around supporting these, the staffing firms, particularly the larger and mid-sized firms, more and more been working with the, you know, the smaller companies as well, but we, we've realized, and so, you know, this is back to your point earlier, Dean, that this explosion of technology and the like has led to a, a whole ecosystem that's much broader than staffing now. And so we call it the workforce solutions ecosystem. And there's all these companies, they're around staffing. Maybe they're not exactly the old traditional definitions of, of what makes a staffing firm, but boy, they sure seem to do the same sorts of things of, you know, at the end, it's people and jobs, work that needs to get done. And how do you connect them? And there's a whole world of ways to do that now. I, and I find that debate really fun at some of these conferences where you have these new folks come in and they say, hey, I know this is my area what I do, and here's my technology or my, you know, process innovation that's different. And then they say, but I'm not part of the staffing industry. I actually, I'm not part of this. And I always argue with these folks. I say, well, that's okay. Do you know how much money goes through the staffing industry? And are you interested in that? And they're, well, well of course, but I, I'm going to operate in a different industry. I'm like, well, okay, that's just a, some terminology yes, here. Right. But, but you're, you know, your, your innovation to your person is contributing to the growth of this industry. The way, you know, you sift through CVs and find keywords or something like that and aggregate them, the way you inspire someone to join your whatever talent board or answer your email or something like that, you know, that effectively participates in the staffing industry. And so, you know, you're part of it. And so just, just hang around. Like it or, little, like it or not. Yeah, yeah. Hang, hang around a little longer at the social hour and then you'll realize that that's where you are. I want to talk about two other specific parts one is the talent in, in what you're hearing from your customers about the change in, in how talent is wanting to engage or how people looking for opportunity and, yeah. and how that's changed. And then the other is thing is the organizations, what you call the buy side of how their perspectives are changing. So let's first go to the people seeking opportunity. We have a perspective, and that's why it's called the Talent Economy Podcast, that with low unemployment and access to, to technology, talent now has a choice. It used to be, you know, when you have high unemployment, everybody's scrambling for a job and take whatever you, take can, whatever get, you yeah. can get. So, I mean, to your earlier point, like I'm going to be a chemical engineer because it pays $20 more and that people are, are trading opportunity of learning for, you know, maybe some money. And what are you seeing out there? All of this is cyclical with the economy, but, you know, it's a great time to be out looking for a job and talent has, is more in the driver's seat than ever before. And in the U.S., if you look, there's like 1.5 million more 
job openings every month than there are people that get hired. And that gap has never been wider than that, I guess. And so, you know, it's a talent really is in the driver's seat right now. And it's not just at the very highly professional end. It's, you know, it's it's across the board. Shortages are there. So, of course, that's not going to last forever. That, that'll be cyclical. But in a lot of ways, all the demographic trends would say, if we look into the future in general, I think talent is going to be more and more in the driver's seat, more than ever before. And so there is this chance to think about how you want to work, where you want to work, what's convenient for you. You know, I just, in our business, we're more open than ever before to like, no, you don't have to come to the office every day. Yes, you can be across the country. The technology is there to make that work. And so I think it's a, it's an exciting time for the workers out there, but it's also, they have to figure out how to navigate all these new choices and ways of connecting with work. It, it hasn't, it's not as one size fits all as it used to be. As a leader of a large organization, has it been challenging for you to sort of embrace that flexibility for your team? I mean, you got to a leadership position and, and there were certain rules and constructs on how work was done. And how was that transformation for you to make those decisions? Because I'm imagining it started with one or two people. Are you wanting access to somebody? Oh, this is this amazing person that I want to bring on. And they're like, yeah, Barry, I'm not, I'm not moving to California. I'm just like, <laughs> well, particularly now, I mean, I, I think, you know, most of the things that happen, they happen one thing after another and out of necessity, right? And so, you know, our our thing for us, we know that what drives our business is having incredibly talented people doing work that they love doing and giving them the tools and helping make them uh, uh, successful. And so it just became a natural thing. It was, it was exactly that. It's like, well, if we're going to hire the experts, we've got to go where they are. Way back when, when I first started in, in the business, we weren't so open to that. But you know, maybe that's been a correlation with the rise in uh, housing prices in Silicon Valley, where we're based. So There, there is a certain attraction, <laughs> though, Barry, to your uh, mid-peninsula, San Francisco Bay Area, 1970s-esque office, though. it's It's got a sunken grotto in the middle <laughs> and some ferns growing. It's just, it is. I was, I was going to say, Paul, you described this as like a, you know, a large organization. So, you know, SI is about 50 people, plus a, a small constellation of, uh, of freelance talent or so. Let's talk about the large organizations who are trying to get access to that talent. And, and I'm imagining on that side of, of your business, you've seen some changes in how they're approaching the space. What, what are you yeah. learning from large corporations? There's more sophistication around the use of contingent work, the gig economy staffing than ever before. In part, I think we've helped drive that part of our, our mission of, of really informing connecting and elevating the whole ecosystem. And so, you know, to us, anything you can do to raise the level of knowledge and professionalism is going to help the the good actors really rise to the top. We have our Contingent Workforce Strategies Council for these large enterprise folks. And then that led into, hey, there should be some training and certification for people that this actually is a job, that running the the non-traditional workforce, the contingent workforce at uh, large organizations is a profession. And so now we have the certified contingent workforce professional. If you go out on, you know, on LinkedIn and search, you'll see CCWP on, you know, it's something people have now. 
And that has been evolving too. I understand there's a, there's a new module that relates or echoes what's going on in the industry right now. It's a, a, around remote. CCWP yeah. now includes some education around, around remote work and around uh, SOW and all of this. Yeah, it's changed over time just because the, the type of work is changing. We did add specifically around remote workers and, and the like. We've added more content on that because we have to. So the, you know, the thing that's happening, right, is people actually see this as a profession increasingly, which when I first got involved in it, it, it was just like the thing you gave to the office admin to manage the, the temps or something like that. And now, you know, there's really sophisticated organizations that are out there. And uh, the other thing we're seeing right now is uh, the pendulum had swung from HR to procurement over the last sort of decade ago, now we're seeing that coming back to HR. Like HR didn't want anything to do with the non-employed people. And all of a sudden, I think folks are realizing that, you know, that the talent of an organization is much more than just the people who you know, are directly on your payroll. I want to plug SIA because it, the work that you do and the mission that you have is very important, at least to my personal transformation in this space. Uh, we're in London at the SIA Executive Forum, and your head researcher gave the first keynote. And for me, there was a, a stat that was put up on one of the slides where you polled a bunch of large corporations and said, hey, over the next, I think, five years it was, are you going to be hiring more independent workers or less independent workers, more full-time employees or less full-time employees? I think he commented, we've been doing this research for a long period of time, and now we're starting to see change in perception or a change in desire to hire more independent workers and less full-time workers. Yeah, we're, picked that, we're picking that up in the surveys all the time. Basically, every category of worker, temporary agency workers, freelancers, consultants, uh, like the, those are all, when you ask people what's coming over the next 10 years, they see growth in those, everything other than traditional full-time workers. And by my math, there's a survey you put out there to staffing firms and several hundred re responded, almost a thousand or so. And if you do the math and add some words to the numbers, it, it, my assessment is it says 47% of those 19,000 some odd staffing firms in the U.S. by 2022 will either be participating in platform freelance uh, or own uh, or have built their own, whatever, you know, whatever their strategy is to go get it, they will be part of it about half in two years. Uh, whereas, you know, it's right now it's at 13% or so. That's a huge people, hockey stick. Right. Well, people are, and I think part of it is, you know, we see our mission is helping people look around the corner, yeah. like what's coming next and what do they have to get on top of? And in the moment where we, talent is so hard to get and, and so much in the driver's seat, you've got to engage with them the way they want to engage. And, you know, if I think about my kids, they're not finding jobs the way that, uh, you know, that I did way back when. In the newspaper where you put it in your cover letter in an envelope that you, know, you write, typed writing, <laughs> writing letters. And I mean, yeah. that's how I got into the staffing industry. It was like writing letters to CEOs of service companies. I so. You know, got my first job offers from Dell Computer and WorldCom at the time by writing a letter and licking it and putting it in the That's in the sort mail of blind thing and dropping it off. You know, for my my kids, right? You know, the idea of talking to even talking to somebody on the phone is, oh my God, why would I do that? But you know, an, an app or website or some other way for them to be in the driver's seat more over this process, I think is how to engage with them. And so back Dean to your, you know, to your point about the staffing firms, I think staffing firms who want to succeed, 
know that they've got to go find these people where where they are. And so that's the great entrepreneurial side of the industry, right? Is the, you know, the small staffing firms, large staffing firms, they're, they're figuring out where the talent is and how do they get to them and, you know, whatever it takes, they'll, they'll do it. Will this go away though? Like say economy switches, the supply and demand talent function changes to the disadvantage to the talent. Will, you know, there's new technology, these platforms, will, will we go back to the way we were? It is cyclical, right? To some extent, I, I think that it's just by nature and, and in part, from an employer point of view, right? I mean, the reason you engage with staffing, contingent work, gig workers, in part, is to manage those ups and downs. And and you know what what that means in the in the ups is you're adding talent on, engaging as uh, as contingent workers. Uh, in the downs, typically, that's the the first people who are you, who you're you're cutting. So I I think that that will be as the cycles go that that will change and it'll sort of come up and down, but skills are always in demand and, you know, the, particularly the, the sort of high demand technology skills and stuff. I mean, there's all these things that are just so short. And then the long-term trends, you know, so there's the sort of short-term ups and downs with unemployment and the like. The long-term trends to me are just with uh, the aging workforce and looks like now uh, immigration is just a much more difficult subject. So it's not like we're, we're going to have lots more immigration, at least in the U.S., the, the shortage of skilled workers is, you know, is something that's going to going to continue. So work is not going to be this binary thing anymore. You're going to have to have a portfolio of work, you know, much like a consultant back in your days in Accenture, yeah. you had a number of different projects and you'd do that project and then move to a next project. And, and that was normal. You didn't expect to work as a consultant on the same project for 30 years and then, then retire. I'm starting to see, you know, when you look at the amount of people doing side hustles or all of those right. different things, people adapting, because if one thing humans can do is they adapt, adapting mm-hmm. to this new idea that, no, it's not one job, it's, it's a number of different things. And I build a portfolio to better protect myself from that cyclical nature of, of work. Well, that, that's exactly like if you're into this is what you want to do as your full, full-time thing, I think in some ways you're, you're cushioned from the economic ups and downs you, because you have a portfolio of clients, right? And so if one of them goes down, you've got your other clients to move to. So I, I think we'll see more and more of that as we look into the, the future. And part of the challenge for the staffing firms and others in the middle is like, how do you make that easy for people to do? One of my favorite things is talking to Uber and Lyft drivers about why they're doing it. I, you know, I think more of the ones who are happy doing it are the ones who are doing this sort of side hustle thing. And it's just, you know, it's a way to have that portfolio and flexibility and a, a additional income. And those sort of principles, I think, will apply to all sorts of, of other jobs. And we're already starting to see yeah. that. My uh, driver that took me to the airport back in, in Seattle, we were talking, he was like, hey, you know, because I'm always curious, like, hey, am I, I moved to freelance. Like, why are you freelancing? And granted, yeah. we have just different positions in the freelance world. But he said, lost my job. And I needed to make some money and I decided to stay doing this and pick up some other freelance work. I'm making less money, but the flexibility, I'm never going back to losing the flexibility. And I think that's, I think to your point, we were talking earlier about hiring remote workers. I think the move to wanting that flexibility and wanting to get some control of your life is important. I want to make a plug for a report that SIA does 
the Human Cloud Report, which I tell everyone, if you're interested in the transformation of talent moving to the cloud and all of these platforms and, and really an in-depth framing of the space and how to look at independent work and where the dollars flow, it is the best report in the industry. I, as someone who's probably read, you know, every report you that's come out. Them, yeah. And so if anybody's listening and says, hey, I want to really understand this space, I, I highly encourage you to check out that report that comes out every year and is really the most insightful, uh, well-researched reports in the industry. So thank you and the team for uh, pulling that together. If I had to ask you, in a couple of sentences to say in the next five years, the world of independent work or contingent work will look like this in five years. What are some of those changes that you think, and you're writing the headline from the desk of the president of SIA. Like, That's what, a lot of pressure. Paul. <laughs> lot of pressure. But, but what are the top two or three things that you say, hey, these are the changes as I look back to in 2025, you're writing your, your letter. I don't know if I can give it to you in a, you know, in a short headline, but, you know, it, contingent work is more tech-enabled than ever. Convergence might be the, the watchword of, of what we see about the industry. By that, what I mean is that I think that it's going to get increasingly hard to tell traditional staffing firms from technology-based firms in that the tech firms are adding more people and services. Staffing firms, like it or not, are adding more and more technology component of their their business. And so I think convergence, evolution of the uh, ecosystem, I think those will be sort of the some of the big buzzwords as if it were over the over the next few years. And then the other thing I think is uh, total talent and this idea of organizations really being critical in their thinking about the full range of their talent choices that they have to get work done that they need to do that it's you know it's not just a traditional worker or a temporary worker but that there's this whole range of you know should the work be a remote worker should it be a consultant should it be you know somebody through an online platform we're even starting to look now into robotics and you know seeing that in some way, the the bots and robots and this sort of full range of ways that uh, that work can get done. So I think there are more choices than ever and more integrated choices of how to get that work done. And that definitely was not a headline that I gave you, right? That was the article. Yeah, that yeah, was the article. So. But I also think that if you went and you had a section of your, your newsletter of, you know, they do you're a big company, like 10 years with the company, you, you'll have a bunch of new clients that didn't realize to, to Dean's earlier point that they're in the staffing business. A lot of technology companies that come from where you're from in California or you know anywhere in the world that thought they were on their own, you know, in creating inventing their own a new words, category, yeah, yeah, inventing yeah. their new words. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm in the, we discover them all the time. And, yeah. and no, of, look, Dean's journey to, to waking up and saying, no, actually I'm part of this half a trillion dollar industry. Yeah, well, it's, I guess, yeah, I've been quoting this half a trillion thing, but I was looking at those numbers here. I mean, I don't know. It's, there's trillions. Trillions. It's yeah, trillions. It's trillions. I mean, Martin, our, our number for the yeah, global gig economy is something like four trillion, yeah. four and a half trillion yeah, dollars. Big. I mean, if you count everybody who's doing this work, so it's I wonder it's if the huge. talent will wake up one day too. Like it's, 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 they're reading Barry's article there and, and they're like, am I a consultant? I don't think an Uber driver thinks they're a taxi driver per se. No, I'm, I have a gig. It's a side gig thing. I'm not part of the transportation industry. You know, I think your average employee or freelancer who's got a, a several gigs out there realizes they're actually a consultant, just like a 
someone walking around at Accenture. It's interesting for, for me when people ask me, what do you do? Because for 20 years, <laughs> yeah, what do you say? Well, 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 for 20 years, I said, well, I, I work at Dell or Amazon or Microsoft. You know, and yeah. after you say that, yeah, I'm a, you know, this in marketing or business right. development or a project manager and a product management. And now I, my answer is I'm a freelancer. I sort of embrace that and see how people, uh, and it's, it's very interesting, the difference of how people react to you when you're with a big brand company and when you're a freelancer. And, and so watching that transition, I think, Dean, to your point, you know, how does talent represent what they do in a way that, that resonates with people um, so that as they right. build their sort of portfolio? I mean, I, and I think for most people, what we're talking about is sort of a style of working, which goes across every job out there. And, and, you know, there are staffing firms. I keep finding staffing firms or related companies for specializing in basically every type of job you could ever imagine from, you know, school teachers to you name the job. There's companies out there that specialize in them. This is my favorite part of the show. It's the rapid fire section. I heard, I heard rumor of this rapid fire thing. I'm going to ask you five questions. I want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind. You get the opportunity to ask me any two questions so that it's sort of fair. What's one thing about you that's not on your LinkedIn profile? Biking from uh, Canada to Mexico in stages. Wow. I'm all the way to Santa Barbara. Next summer, we're finishing Santa Barbara to, to Mexico. So stay tuned. That's impressive. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? How about Bill Gates? I love how he reads all these books. Like, how does the guy have time to do this? I guess I appreciate the, his whole charitable thing that he's doing and like, you know, that incredibly logical way of taking the biggest problem you can and like, what's the most impact you can have with the money that the he foundation. has? If you were stranded on a tropical island, what two things would you want with you and why? I think I've answered, I have answered this question before. I, it was, uh, I think I would I would have my wife with me, Amy. So that that would uh, is that is that allowed in the yeah, tropical it, island it, it thing? So, oh yeah, so Amy would be there. I guess I'd I'd go for a, you know craft beer. My latest my latest one is uh, Dragon's Milk uh, Bourbon Barrel Aged Stout. So that I, that I think would be uh, that'd be a good one. Of course, I, I just of course that would that would be a problem in the tropical island if there you know if that's all I had. So that <laughs> what book or movie has inspired you most over the past year? Really interesting uh, a book by a guy named uh, Yuval uh, Noah Harari. I think it was Homo Deus and a, a couple others, but basically on, on like the origins of humans and why is it we're running the planet for better or worse and not all the other species out there and makes some great points about it. But it's really about humans' ability, what separates us from the rest of uh, the animal kingdom really is our ability to tell stories and the ability to inspire people to act in concert together. And so that, that was the book that, uh, that I've enjoyed the most. And here's my last question. What is more important, being radically curious or having attention to detail? <laughs> I like the, I'll go for curiosity. I'm, you know, maybe by nature a little bit more of a detail person, but, uh, Amy, my wife calls me Curious Barry. So, I, <laughs> so we're going to go with Curious Barry. Yeah. yeah which like could be that. another title for the podcast yeah, as well. Yeah, Curious Barry. There so I'll go. give you the opportunity if you'd like to ask me any two questions, Julie. Any two questions. What did you want to be when you grew up, when you were seven years old? I wanted to be a, an airplane pilot. I wanted to be a priest. I grew up in, in New Orleans, Louisiana, and my family was very Catholic, and uh, we grew up around 
my early leadership, when I looked at leaders, I, I would go to church on Sunday and, and see the person standing at the pulpit and he, they would tell stories and they would tell inspirational stories and always taken to the fact that they were both empathetic, you know, caretakers of a community, right. leaders of a community, but also, you know, told stories that help people think about their life and stuff like that. So I, that my, my mom, I think had a thing that said, well, you know, it was like, you're a priest or something. Anyway, so that's, that's what I wanted to be when I was seven or eight. It's that all the things that you described there sounds like things that you're actually doing now. Yeah. It's, I'm telling you, it's funny the way the way that works. And there you go. And I get, I get another question. So another what question. is your prediction for the, uh, the gig economy in 2030, let's say? I agree with you. I think that all of these technology firms are going to realize that they're part of a bigger industry, uh, human capital I think that there'll be a convergence. I think there'll be a lot of partnerships, acquisitions, all sorts of really creative deals that are made by in, uh, by people that have traditional staffing firms that have maybe fallen behind and need to catch up. And I think there'll be that. I think that companies will start to embrace total talent, but I, I think from an organizational perspective, I think that the progressive companies out there will have not a procurement organization that procures talent and an HR organization that keeps talent in compliance, but they will start to to lean into the world of saying, how do I support this concept of total talent? And I think you'll see organizations create structures that put real meaning behind the word total talent. I don't think many of them are there today. I think you have HR fighting with procurement. And, it will take a long time for them. It's the organizational issues, yes. I think, that are impediments, really. It's the... Yeah. Uh, Human behavior. Yeah. So you've got, yeah, you've got to get a CHRO and a chief procurement officer yeah. to say, hey, let's have our organizations work together or become one. And it gets kind of, so I think in 10 years, the progressive organizations start to to tackle that and have structures that make more sense. So Barry, thank you so much for, for joining us today. If somebody wants to learn more about SIA or even get in touch with you directly, what's the best way to do that? Go to our website at uh, staffingindustry.com or email me, basin at staffingindustry.com. That sounds great. And we'll keep all that information uh, in the show notes. Thank you. All right. I'm your host, Paul Estes. Thank you for listening to the Talent Economy Podcast. Learn more about the future of work and the transformation of the staffing industry from those leading the conversation at staffing.com, where you can hear from experts, sign up for our weekly newsletter, and get access to the best industry research on the future of staffing. If you've enjoyed the conversation, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or just tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of The Talent Economy. 